best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to the Paul Bunyan Podcast. We apologize for not having a show after the Louisville and Duke games. It didn't fit into our schedule like we thought, but we're going to talk about those games today. Uh, we have a great show. Both teams have had a couple top 10 matchups. And for the football teams, the Bulls were announced. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Farbar Clothing and the Beards for Radio Podcast. episode with the Michigan State Spartans basketball team. Three games to recap here. A home loss to Duke that was really worse than even the box score would suggest, believe it or not. A tough win over Rutgers and then a quasi road win against Oakland uh, that they have every other year. So talking about the loss to Duke, 87 to 75 at home. Like I said, the loss, it it really was worse than just a 12-point home loss. Duke led by as much as 20 at points. In the second half, like when Michigan State got back to within eight points, the crowd was in it, and then Duke just delivered a hammering blow again. Michigan State just had no answer for Vernon Carey, the big man in the post that they really wanted. And frankly, you know, if, if Vernon Carey is on Michigan State's team, maybe it's different, but you know, you're not dealing with hypotheticals. I didn't even know it got that close. I have to admit, I turned it off at one point because it just felt so ugly. It came out real flat. It felt a lot like the Michigan State-Indiana game last year when game day was in town and Michigan State was playing really well despite a, a loss to Purdue that week. And then Michigan State just came out flat. Like There were times like Bingham made a couple three-pointers in the first half, but... Winston came out early because he kind of made a mistake and Izzo pulled him to show him what to do. And there was just a stretch where they couldn't get Foster Lawyer off the court. And one play that really summed it up was a breakaway for Duke where turnover really wasn't Foster Lawyer's fault. Like somebody took the handoff away from him where, you know, the guy cutting, I think it was Watts, has to be sharper than that, has to be closer to take the ball and just allow too much space. And then... Lawyer gets knocked over. Jones makes the basket, lands on Lawyer. Surf and then him. gets Yeah, and then <laughs> foul on Lawyer. And at that point, I think it was a four-point game and then that three-point play. That was really early in the game, too, it wasn't was, it? It was. And it was just kind of like a what-the-F moment. Like, what just happened? I, I was, think that's actually what uh, Izzo was saying verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just – it was surprising to me how, how unemotional Michigan State was in the game. And I, I credit Duke a lot. This was really the first time when these two teams have been playing where Duke was playing for some immediate revenge. Like yeah. coming to East Lansing, seeing the, the 2019 Final Four banner in the rafters, 
you know, the last time Michigan State had beaten Duke beforehand was in the 2005 tournament. The two teams didn't play again for another three years, and now they're playing pretty much every season. So. Well, there's like Izzo has beaten Duke twice, but there's twice. That asterisk. It's like they never or very rarely come to East Lansing. Yeah, and this was like the chance, and this is the team that even though you know. The Spartans have lost to Kentucky. They were number one in the preseason. They were still number 10 or 11 when this game took yeah, place. Yeah, it was a 10-11 game. And, yeah. You know, I said in the previous show that Michigan State should come out with an attitude like they're better and they should beat them, you know. The problem for Michigan State, and I'll cover this a lot more later in the segment, but they don't have a whole lot of Big Ten size after Xavier Tillman. I thought Xavier Tillman really did hold his own for the most part against Vernon Carey. Maybe not as well as he played against Zion last year, believe it or not. But, yeah, there was just really no answer for Vernon Carey Jr. And then Trey Jones really redeemed himself. He had a poor game in the Elite Eight last season. Cassius Winston really just tore him up. And Trey Jones responded with 20 points and 12 assists. And Michigan State had 14 turnovers. There were four from 16 from three-point line, which was – 25 percent and i'll get into more of that later duke was 7 of 15 for 46 percent over 46 percent from three and really the biggest problem of the game was aaron henry didn't shoot until the game was already decided he only attempted two shots and that's the biggest concern from that game and i think it has been addressed a little bit since then but that was probably where most people were doing the surrender cobra like why isn't aaron henry doing this yeah I, I, I mean, this was a game that I think both programs kind of needed for March to get a resume building. Obviously, yeah. they I, I would say most years, the ACC and the Big Ten, the best two conferences, at least the last 10 or so years. I, I know there was a year that the Big Ten had like four pretty dang yeah. teams, but really not much else. But, I mean, if you look around, I think. And this is a game that on Selection Sunday will hold a lot of weight. Like, say Michigan State is between a two and three seed. This is a game that's not going to help them out at all. I was going to use that exact example. What if both of these teams look like they right. can be a two or a three? Like well, the, the Kentucky head to head game is kind of the tiebreaker. Yeah, the Kentucky game early on, you don't you don't hold that against them too much. The Virginia Tech game, like I, I don't think Virginia Tech and Michigan State at the end of the season are going to be on similar footing. But yeah. yeah, Michigan State and Duke, they kind of are and. Michigan State responded with a, a gritty home win over Rutgers, and Rutgers might not be so Rutgers this year. <laughs> I uh, I was saying that two weeks ago, and there were some eyebrows raised, and I feel like now when I say it, people are like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. So a, a 77-65 win over Rutgers, it was kind of just a replay of every single time I Michigan State has when played Michigan Rutgers. State would uh, pull away. Yeah. <laughs> there were about three or four <laughs> moments where it looked like, all right, Michigan State, we're hitting now. It's the game's going to be put away, and then Rutgers, uh, Michigan State, to their credit, defensively they held Geo Baker, who's really one of the best scorers in the Big Ten. They held him to four points. So to, for Rutgers to keep it so close, despite not getting much from Baker, I think that says a lot about them. Going back to the Duke game real quick, how do you think most people, and especially the people on Selection Sunday, are going to look at it? Are they going to look at it as uh, eight? point loss or are they going to look at it as like a blowout because it felt like a blowout I think if they really watched it they would look at it as a blowout and I think losing by 12 on your home court does qualify I as thought a it was, to most did you people. say it was eight or was it it was, it was a 12 point oh okay loss it got down to within eight. Oh, okay 
Um, and I think, um, and we'll get into this with Michigan, I view home losses and road losses different. No, I, I definitely do as well. Um, I mean, I, I think, I don't remember who I picked, but, you know, Michigan State being at home kind of would make me lean towards them. Yeah, and it wouldn't be a Michigan State basketball segment without bringing up some injuries. Uh, after the Duke game was announced that Rocket <laughs> Watts is going to miss some time with a, a leg injury. Is it just the Oakland game he's missed? He's missed the he... Rutgers game. He missed the Rutgers game too? Okay. And um, the language, it just feels eerily similar to how they were talking about Josh Langford around this time a year ago, which has, has a lot of us as Spartan fans up in arms. And well, uh, losing and him, sleep. I, I know Langford was a sophomore, but just he was, last year he was a sophomore. He was a junior. Oh, he was year. a junior. Well, Watts being a freshman, you know, looking at just comparing, you know, Wagner, I wish would have been out there earlier. Yeah. And I mean, I know now we're deeper into the season, but come Big Ten play, you know, if Watts is missing too many of these games, it's going to hinder exactly. his development. Yeah. And after the Duke game, I took some notes on what I wanted to see, and I said I, I really want to see Watts be acclimated to the backup point guard role. And you can still play Foster Lawyer at the point guard for a few minutes, but I really think Watts, just from the size and his skill set, is more suited to be the backup. And I do think when he comes back healthy, I think you take him off the bench and keep Gabe Brown in the starting lineup because Gabe Brown can do a lot of different things for Michigan State. And he's got some really good length on him, uh, just his wingspan. He's kind of a contender to be their second-best scorer after Cassius. Yeah. Watching I'm, Michigan State, I feel like you're waiting. There's a lot of potential, but you're – is uh, Tillman going to consistently reach his potential? Is Gabe going to uh, – Right. And then, you know, Henry, is he going to take shots or is he going to wait till later in the game? You know? And that, that was something about the Rutgers game that was encouraging – Henry missed a lot of field goals, but he finished with 12 points, 7 of 8 from the free throw line. But the fact that he was seeking his shot was a good sign. And with a player like Henry, it's like you kind of do want him to force it. You rarely want a player to force a shot if it's not there. But in this situation, it's like you need to realize just how good you are. There's a thing and, about being too passive or too conservative. Right. Uh, I, I remember Beeline used to say that. Over, he says it's like, it. He says it's like driving. You don't want to be too aggressive when you're driving a car, not driving to a basket. Right. <laughs> oh, but you don't want to be too conservative. They both can be dangerous. And he would talk about that with Eli Brooks last year on offense. And I'm guessing some of these guys on Michigan State like him, uh, like Henry, you kind of – it's like just shoot it or try yeah. to create your own shot. Try to do and something. Good things happen when Aaron Henry drives to the basket for Michigan State. And I think that showed a lot in the Oakland win. Um so I'm just going to slide over to the yeah. Michigan State-Oakland game now that happened on Saturday. I like the stat sheet for that game. It's a weird stat sheet for sure. It was even a weirder watch. But yeah, 72-49 quasi-road win versus Oakland at Little Caesars oh. Arena. <laughs> I guess Oakland is closer to LCA. They were technically the home team, and they used to play at the Palace every other yeah, year. Yeah, in Oakland County. Yeah. Um, really, I don't, I don't really think, the most. The, I'm pretty sure their college is really close to the Palace of Auburn Hills, too. Yeah. 
not to get too personal, but about nine, ten years ago, uh, about nine years ago, I dated a girl that went to Oakley College. <laughs> I think it was the biggest crowd in Little Caesars Arena history, just, I was, just from the eyeball test. That's funny because I was going to say this might be the biggest game in Little Caesars. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoy saying that because uh, I'm very annoyed with uh, Red Wings and the Pistons lately. Yeah. But uh, what what did you go – going into this game, what did you expect? What did you – the score sheet, if you told me what the score was going to be beforehand, I would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but then if you show me, like, the stats specifically, I would have been like, yeah, against, that, against any other team. Against any other team, I don't think you get – like, Oakland's pretty bad this year. They're, they don't have a Kendrick Nunn or a Kay Felder or someone of that. I was going to say. Um, they've yeah. been dangerous in the past. They have a good coach. Great. Henry, Great was, Henry was the leading scorer with 10 points, but 12 other players scored. Statistically, yeah, it might have actually been their worst game of the three-game stretch. 17 turnovers, 7 of 33 from three-pointers, which was 21.2%. But the encouraging thing was Thomas Kithrier played like he wanted his minutes back. Uh, He did a lot of intangibles correctly and really provided a spark. After we praised him, it seemed like he went into a slump. Yeah, and I side note, and I'll get into this. A little bit more later. I really like Marcus Bingham starting the game, but Hall or Kithier coming off the bench. And I'll get more into that. But yeah, he got a lot of offensive rebounds, it seemed like, and he scored all of eight of his first half. He scored all of his points into the first half. Earlier earlier in the season, it seemed like he was Mr. Fundamental. There was a couple times right. the other team, he, the opposing team would be on a run and he'd kind of stop it. And then it kind of seemed like he ended up in Izzo's doghouse. I think that was mainly the Virginia. The trip to Maui wasn't good for him. But, Virginia um, Tech game? Virginia Tech, and then he didn't really respond well to in the other games. Uh, it was just a bad Maui trip. But, um, yeah, he had some stuff that won't show up on the stat sheet. One where, like, Oakland had a pass tipped. It goes up in the air, and he got a volleyball spikes it ahead to Ahrens. Ahrens and Brown are on the fast break, and it led to a, a jam for Gabe Brown, which kind of – got them electrified and Gabe Brown is one of those players that can be a spark. Cause he's got, you know, last year he was just him and Bingham were the funny guys on the bench. And now if they can have just some of that contagious energy on the court and just have them kind of play like it's fun, because unfortunately it's not fun for a lot of them right now, particularly Cassius Winston. There was the article released on Sunday uh, by Sean Windsor that, dove deep into it. And it's a really good article on, on free press. Um, and it kind of opened my eyes to something where uh, Cassius Winston's mom, he Cassius Winston found out like right before the game that his mom wasn't going to be at the Duke game, which was understandable for her. I realize it's, it's a difficult situation to be at the games like that every time, but it, it's just a really good article. I would suggest going to the free press and checking it out. But yeah, here's uh, one of the quotes from Cassius in the article. He says, playing basketball doesn't bring the same joy, the same freedom, the same kind of outlet. At certain times, I don't even want to be out there. I'd rather go talk to my brother, be somewhere with my family. That's where it gets tough. Yeah. And that's coming from one of the smartest basketball players on any court that I've ever watched. And it's it's understandably difficult for him and no he didn't have the like the greatest statistical game on saturday i 
believe I, it was nine points. He had nine points. I actually think his and Xavier Simpson's games were comparable, but maybe for different yeah. reasons. And Xavier Tillman has come on since. No, Xavier Simpson. Oh, Xavier Simpson. Yeah. 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 Um, you don't want to mix those up like Izzo did. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, though, that. It's not the most common name, and I know it's not the most. Xavier, yeah. yeah. Is it? Is that your middle name? It is my middle name. I thought there so. was also somebody on the Oakland team who was, was named Xavier. There was also somebody on the Oakland team who was number four, a shooting guard, and their last name was Oladapo. I was like, were, I can't deal with it. And the thing you thought about was Oladipo. Oladipo. Yeah, I didn't like Oladipo in Indiana. Um, but yeah, Winston, it was actually kind of good for him. Like, you don't need him to play that much. Don't play him too much. He played. 29 minutes like yeah it's his last time to play in Detroit as a Spartan maybe you want him to like put on a show but in this in this case it looks like he did some good things and some he did things. some good things yeah he's been kind of throwing the ball all over the court and you're just kind of like dude you gotta gotta have that focus yeah his vision's gotta come back to him at some point but yeah so overall just my concerns with the teams I'm just gonna list them off uh there's still a log jam at the four um Nobody has really separated themselves as of yet, but so far I like Marcus Bingham in the starting lineup. Uh, I'd like to keep him as the starter because he often wins the tip, which is kind of a staple of Michigan State. They like to control the pace, and that helps when they win the tip. And he can be a matchup problem for big men down low against UCLA and Georgia. He had a couple early blocks, and he did so on Saturday as well. Um but I do think it's best to have an offensive guy like Millie Call or a hustle guy like Kithier come into the game with the game already a couple minutes old. It's kind of like having a spark off the bench. Whereas Bingham, there are some things that he can't provide that those other two can provide. Whereas, you know, if he comes into the game for a couple minutes and doesn't do what he can do best and just has like a couple bad minutes, then it can really bring the team down. But I like him starting at the four. We're just still seeing Hall and Kithier, even at times Julius Marble and Gabe Brown at the four, and no one has separated themselves yet. But I think you can get a good three-man rotation going with Bingham, Hall, and Kithier if they all know their roles correctly. I feel like uh, State needs another big win. I think that do a lot for the team and the fans more. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Seton Hall is once they get cleaned up a little bit. You know, they're kind of hurt right now. Yeah. I know um, they're, they're missing their big man for a couple months, and uh, Powell didn't play much on Saturday at Rutgers. A month or a month and a half ago, I think we saw State as the favorite of the Big Ten. I still see them as one of the top t- teams, but now I feel like they're just another team that could challenge Ohio State. Yeah, and th- they're definitely playing nowhere near their ceiling right now, Michigan State. Um they might not ever get to their ceiling, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, another concern for me, the shooting woes from three. Overall, the team is shooting 31.3% from distance. And, yeah, there is the longer three-point line this year, and I think every player has kind of been affected by it except for Winston. So at, my question is just at what point does it start to really become a concern where this just might be a bad shooting team or – is it is it gonna get better at some point? If you don't have the size, that's usually a way to kind of right. That's can the be thing a is, inside the arc, they're actually shooting a pretty high percentage. At least they did against Rutgers and Oakland. That's the thing with Cassius, you know. 
Yeah. We've been seeing uh, Michigan really trying to force teams to take those mid-range jumpers. I'm not so sure I want to see them do that when they play right. state. Like, that's uh, one. <laughs> so you need somebody to, who can become a go-to shooter. I think there are three options at that. I think Gabe Brown, Aaron Henry, and Rocket Watts. How about those Cassius? Are, well, yeah. You want a second guy? Yeah. Okay. Like, somebody off ball. That's if what you wanna, I was thinking, If you want to have Lawyer running the point and Winston – kind of at the two guard like they used to do with Tum Tum there and, and Cassius. That's that's a pretty viable option, I think. But, yeah. That's so, actually one of my big questions was, who's the number two guy on this team? Yeah. And I think a lot of us figured it was Tillman, but it looks like it might be Gabe Brown. I think it might be Gabe Brown, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think Tillman um, is kind of getting into his role, and that's – He does other things well, too. Yeah, that's one of my positives. He clogs the lane. He has a he yeah. has big, long arms. A long shot, but, you know, if Lankford can return by, say, February or March, a long shot. I'm not not even a little bit counting on this, but I think it really would go a long way for this team. Um, even if he only plays, like, five, six minutes a game, I think it, it would do a lot. And then there's there's kind of a lack of Big Ten size, like I alluded to in the Duke game. After Xavier Tillman, really none of the players at the four or the five have real Big Ten size, except for Julius Marble. And this was another note I jotted down. I, I really think Julius Marble in these next four games before the Illinois-Michigan game needs to be getting some real playing time. I don't mean like some dirt minutes when everybody else is in foul trouble or you know garbage time minutes when the game's put away. When Tillman takes his first break, I want to see Marble at the five playing those minutes. And we've seen Kithier there, and Kithier is pretty good at the five. But I would like to see Julius Marble get some time, some real playing time at Northwestern and against the the interstate schools because <clears throat> his size, it's it's pretty applicable to where Nick Ward was. Six eight. Yeah. Maybe a natural power forward can play center right. too. At worst, he's got five fouls to give. And he's he's a pretty decent rebounder. He might not be too much of an offensive presence at the moment, but I think he can be a legitimate option at the five when Tillman is out, especially when you look at the what Illinois is able to do with their two big guy lineup. And then uh, some reasons for optimism. I think Thomas Kithier off the bench and Gabe Brown as a starter are two things that two players who have kind of switched roles as the season has gone on. And it's it's a long season. We're not even we're like almost a third of the way through technically, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kithier off the bench, I think has been good for him. And then Gabe Brown starting, I think overall is good for the team. And I do think Aaron Henry and Xavier Tillman are starting to understand their roles. Xavier Tillman, especially he was Michigan state's best player against Duke and he, him and Cassius were the best players against Rutgers. Um, Yeah. I just think Tillman like, he had a rough game against Seton Hall, and he had kind of a head-scratching game against Virginia Tech. But outside of those two games, I think he's really done everything that's been asked of him. And even even against Seton Hall, I don't put too much of the burden on him for that. And then uh, another reason for optimism for me, if Watts comes back healthy, I think, like I said, you make him the backup point guard, and I think let him create off the dribble. because gives you depth. He's a shooter, but he's not a catch-and-shooter. He – he let, his game is kind of taking people one on one, which isn't really Izzo style. But if you can make it a part of the offense and really like have some minutes without Winston with the ball in his hand, I think it helps a lot. So 
Yeah, those are my reasons for optimism. They still rebound really well. I believe they're averaging over 40 a game. They still defend decently. They have some tough stretches, but Winston, he's no Travis Walton in terms of playing defense, but he's he's come a long way since he got on campus. And, yeah, the next five games, you're at Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, both at the Breslin Center. And then you're back in the Big Ten play with Illinois and Michigan coming to town. Um, it's coming up a lot sooner than we might think. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a far cry from last season when Michigan and Michigan State didn't play until the last week of February and then played three times in three weeks. Yeah, that's going to be fun. So that's that's it for Michigan State, unless you have any more thoughts or no. questions. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see the game at Northwestern, believe it or not, because to this point, I believe every Big Ten basketball game has been won by the home, by the home team. So I think that might be a good opportunity for Northwestern team to win. Knock on wood. Northwestern's probably the worst basketball team in the Big Ten. I would think so at this point, yeah. So have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Crazy Kwanzaa, a tip-top tent, and a solemn, dignified Ramadan. Now a word from my God, our sponsor. Fine, sexy dance who rock beards, look at that! Do you want a little pop culture mixed in with your sports? Are you a fan of the Michigan Wolverines, Michigan State Spartans, the local Detroit teams, comic books, movies, or just sports in general? Then check out the Beards for Radio podcast. We're talking Marvel, DC, college hoops, horror movies, the NFL, the Avengers, The Walking Dead, the NBA, and we're doing it with Beards for Radio. Find us on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else podcasts are available. We're going to make fun of you until you shave the beard. That's the rules. That's the whole point. You're supposed to be tempted into shaving. Your face looks like Robin Williams' knuckles. So with Michigan basketball, this episode's coming on the heels of them playing Oregon. And I was actually lucky enough to be at that game. And it was a tough loss, but the atmosphere in Chrysler was electric. It was a weird game in so much as U of M had some really tremendous stretches and some really terrible ones. Watching uh, Juwan Howard on the sidelines, I can see why recruits want to play for him and why current players look like they want to run through a wall for them. But as far as the game goes, starting off the game, it was really disappointing that the cold shooting that plagued them at Louisville and in Champaign against Illinois was there for the first half against Oregon. And it was also a weird game that uh, Teskew's actually had a really good season so far. Had a tough game against Illinois and a tough first half against Oregon. Oregon doesn't have a lot of size yet. They were controlling the rebounding and controlling the paint. And I think uh, a lot of casual viewers might not realize that once Michigan started playing better in the paint, that's when the shooting came too. And it wasn't just Teske, but you have to give him credit because he had a much better second half. But Brandon Johns, who was actually playing some time at the five, and has actually a couple games before that was kind of he was kind of on somewhat of a small role for his limited time. He was one of the few guys that were really rebounding against Illinois, and uh, Colburn had a great game. He uh, he he he's earning minutes, 
him and Castleton will sometimes play different positions, but sometimes they play the same one. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Castleton, who's also had a really good, a pretty good year so far, Johns is kind of emerging and stealing minutes from him and pushing for minutes as a starter because he's really rebounding, and that's something he does better than Castleton. I think Castleton might still be the better scorer, but when Michigan was getting it going, Johns had two blocks against Oregon. Right, and sometimes with players like Livers and Wagner and even Brooks going, you don't really need scoring so much as you need those other things. Yeah, and I'll get to that too, and that's a good point, Joe, but (laughs) (laughs) going into the season – like, would you have thought that Johns could play the five well? Not really. Like, I really view Johns and Marcus Bingham as the same, and then Kithier and Castleton as the same. Like, both all those players that are in the same class, and those two, I just, yeah, I view them as the same. So, no, I wouldn't picture uh, Johns at the five. <laughs> I've really pictured him more at the three than yeah, the five. Yeah, yeah, and that was the thing. Last year, you know, he struggled. Obviously, he's a fresh. he was a freshman last year, and – He's, he had moments before the last two or three games, but when I when we would be talking about how that 2018 class is really doing well coming off the bench, I think Castleton and especially the Julius were a step or maybe even two ahead of Johns until this past week. But that's a bright spot uh, in the last three or four games where Michigan is one and three. Um, I really thought coming back to Chrysler – you know, it's be. not it's not easy to win on the road, but I, that might fix some of their shooting woes, and it really didn't until the second half. One uh, good thing is when those that shooting was getting better, it was especially getting better for Franz Wagner, who had 21 points against Oregon and kind of cleaned it up a little bit. And he, had, he had some clutch shots, too, late in the game and made this the first shot in overtime. Yeah, as bad as they looked, like I said, as bad as they looked at times against Oregon, they also had some stretches where they looked really good, and that was a bright spot. But early on, it was like, oh, man, he, he hit his first three, and then he went a little cold. But it wasn't just him. You saw Livers not really – I don't think Livers he didn't score in the first, first half. half. He yep. had that missed dunk where he made a really nice cut to the basket with the ball. And, and, and something just, Johns needs to do, he had two missed dunks himself. Yeah, and Oregon also had a couple of those as well. Um, yeah, it was a weird game uh, from a – I'll say like a neutral – viewing perspective because it tipped about five minutes after the Michigan State game did and I I went to I was going to this game when Michigan State was on commercial break before I went back and watched some more of it but you know I go back and they're tipping the ball off and I think I saw both teams score once and then I go back to Michigan State game I go back and it's 15 to 5 Oregon and I'm like it's crazy it was like and we've seen that a few times for Michigan but Against Carolina, against Iowa State, and I think even against Gonzaga. Yeah. And it seemed like one of those where, okay, two things. One, the cold streak was starting to go so long, I was starting to get worried when it was like yeah. 25 to 12 or something like that, was, or 25 to 7. It was like real Oregon bad. Oregon was up by, I believe, 16, 16 point, yeah. Like 25 to 9, I want to say. I think that's why I was like, oh, this might just be the game. It might not just be a right. four or eight minute. And. I was going to list Michigan's bad and like concerns and positives like I did for Michigan State, but this seems like as good a time as any to bring up. Like One thing that can go for or against you is what I like to call streakability, and it's something that Michigan State had a lot of last season. You can go on some big runs. Like Michigan really came back and made the Illinois game a, a really close game, 
But at times it looked like, you know, Gonzaga was going to make the game closer than it was, but then Michigan finishes out that game on a good run. And then the Oregon game kind of encapsulated it perfectly. You know, basketball is a game of runs, but certain teams, they just do it so well. You'll see more (laughs) runs. And I – Watching Michigan this season against the real teams, like, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of streakability in them, and that can be good or bad. Yeah, well, during the first part of the year, the first eight, nine games, they were shooting at a rate that the fans knew weren't, wasn't, wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Uh, but you did not expect it to go the other way, and they went ice cold for a few games. Yeah. And you talk about Michigan State, you don't like that they're shooting 33.1% from three. Yeah. There was a time where Michigan would have loved that for a while, <laughs> pretty much until the second half of the Oregon game. And I was going to say, against Louisville, that was a game where Michigan really wasn't shooting it well, but I thought there were times where they – didn't quit. They actually showed a lot of mental. This team, I don't I think thought. this team has quit at all this season. That's, right, that's, and and that's too Howard. Maybe that was the point I was trying to make when I brought him up. Yeah, I've been because the Louisville game that one could have gotten out of hand as well. That I was think, a low scoring game. I think Louisville in the first half got up by as much as eleven or twelve. And in that type of game where it's low scoring, you kind of think that can be the the crippling blow. But Michigan, I, I believe it was a ten point game at halftime, which. And then Michigan, I think, got it within four. Was it? Yeah. And it looked like they could make a run. And their defense had nothing to be ashamed of that game. I actually think the equipment guys needed to go loosen the rims because nothing was going in for either team. And and to be fair, and I say that as a joke, but so I I saw it pointing out that there was a lot of rimming out and once in balls that just didn't want to fall in that game. Also, (laughs) and that that's somewhat of a serious, but this. Next point isn't serious at all, but it's kind of funny. Whatever. <laughs> Michigan and Oregon were both having their best offensive days on the same basket and having their worst. <laughs> like, because it was a tale of the half. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always just find You that always funny. wonder about that stuff. Like, when one team is just – when one team has a huge surge in the second half, like, if something's up with those rims. Yeah. Uh, what was interesting to me, and it made me feel a little bit better – because, like I said, I kind of had a slight lean towards Michigan for this game because they were at home. And they and beat, the, the up-down theory, too. Yeah, that, too. And uh, and then Michigan, I know, you know, transitive properties don't apply in sports, but yeah. Michigan beat two teams that Oregon lost to in North Carolina and Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga. And the, that, and that's only, like well, North Carolina's only good win is against Oregon. Right and now. the only other Oregon game I had watched was in the battle for Atlantis when they played Seton Hall. And Seton Hall was up by 19 in the second half, and it seemed like everything was falling for them. And Oregon just slowly and methodically came back and won. By like two points, right? Yeah, and it was really all pretty much Peyton Pritchard making making it happen. I'm actually going to get to him in a minute. Um but uh, Oregon seems like they're just as streaky as Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another thing I was going to say. They they got some pretty decent streakability. And this, I'm actually looking forward to a couple cupcakes because Michigan in the last 18 days has played seven games, and four of them are against top 10 teams, whereas Oregon in the last 15 days has played two games, Michigan and Hawaii. And I don't necessarily think that's totally an advantage to Oregon because it's that 
rust versus rest theory. Yeah. And considering how well Oregon looked in the first half, like it sounded like that rested them well. But if Michigan would have finished against that win against Oregon, it's like, okay, you lost to Illinois, who's probably going to a tournament. It was on the road. You lost to Louisville, who's one of the top five teams probably, and that was on the road. But you won some games at home against Iowa and you in this scenario, Oregon. And then you won some tough game neutral site games against Iowa uh, State, yeah. Gonzaga, and North Carolina. Uh, but now it's like kind of a whimper. It's like, yeah, you got some resume building games, but you've lost three or four. Right. Maybe and get your wits back. The Carolina win doesn't look quite as shiny anymore. It's kind of like Seton Hall for Michigan yeah. State. It's like, is Seton Hall going to turn around when they get their rest back? Is yeah. That, North Carolina's problem is they only have one true scorer. And then they have and a Cole guy, Anthony. and he didn't he didn't play today when they lost to Wofford. Oh, okay, so it's really a lot like Seton Hall. Then they right. have that uh, Hunter was it Hunter the guy that Michigan was going Hunter Dickinson, the gra- the transfer. I think Hunter Dickinson is a recruit right now. Um, oh, okay, so I'm mixing them up. But but they have a there was a transfer that Michigan was going after that, uh, and he probably actually wouldn't be playing right now for Michigan. Uh, kind of like Jalen Wilson probably wouldn't be, but uh, I don't think he's playing for Kansas either. Oh, he got <laughs> Jalen Wilson got hurt. Oh, he did. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know that. But yeah, Justin Pierce was uh, was the transfer to North Carolina, and he can't. I, I don't think he really creates his own shot that well, but he's a sharpshooter. And North Carolina, I do think, has some good defenders, but this isn't the North Carolina of old. I think the question becomes: uh, Are they a team that's going to be a four, five, six seed? Are they going to kind of? turn it around a little bit, or are they going to be a bubble team or possibly even miss the tournament? Because they're kind of a one-man show, at least on Cole, offense. Yeah. yeah, and Cole Anthony, you know, he's really good, but he's just a freshman, and he yeah. isn't going to be there for that long. Either, In Michigan, you know, like, they defended them perfectly for that. Um, sometimes you can do, you can score around that, um, as we've seen with the other teams, but North Carolina cannot figure it out. Yeah. So I, I know we've talked about the losses. Real quick, what are your thoughts on the home win against Iowa? Iowa can score a lot, but they don't do defense very well. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> kind of the inverse of the football team. Yeah. I think Iowa's a pretty good team. I, I, I think so. Going to Iowa, I think, could be a problem. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they like to do the thing where we saw this with Michigan State a few years ago with Ward. You score on Michigan State, and they have a player that kind of lingers. Nick Ward would do this. Mm-hmm. And then they quickly go down, and they match that score. And, yeah. Uh, oh, Nick Ward was so good at running the floor. Oh, I miss him so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, the, the player that scored a lot of points against Michigan. Luca Garza. Yeah, he, there was a lot of that. I, I actually kind of like that strategy of knowing who can beat you and who can just put up a lot of stats on you. And I think they knew – Garza, if if you like double team him, he's kind of like you remember that big doofus Isaac Haas at Purdue a couple <laughs> years ago. Like, big, is pretty good at passing out of that. I'm situation. glad you clarified which big doofus. Which, yeah, because I'm pretty sure it was uh, West Lafayette under their basketball court. They have like a Frankenstein like <laughs> science lab where they just make these big seven two seven five. Yeah, doofuses. They all have the same you see haircut. People like AJ Hammonds and Isaac Haas and Matt Harms. 
I didn't know there was three of them. Yeah. I thought there was well, two of them. Well, AJ uh, Hammonds didn't look like the other two. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's just that. I definitely mixed up two of them. Now. That idea of just letting that big guy get his points and not really beat you. Like, it can be frustrating at times because it feels like that other team is just going. It's it's kind of a ballsy move. Like, Izzo did that with Isaac Haas a couple years ago. Um, in a game where Michigan State won by three and Haas had like 32 points, I believe. But yeah, Garza putting up 44, but the team still losing by what was it, 12 points? I yeah, and Michigan was consistently and right. That's, that's kind of smart. That's knowing like what can and can't beat you. I would that guy down to six or eight a couple yeah. times, but and obviously, like if Michigan was having a poor offensive night, they would have adjusted that a little bit. But I. I think they knew it was working for that particular night. It was really weird to watch it. I think it was, yeah, it was their next game after a Louisville game. Yeah, the Iowa game. Yeah, was. and Iowa had a player that scored more than Michigan did against Louisville. And <laughs> I had some Iowa fans let me know that on Twitter, but it's kind of like. I was like, you guys know you lost the game, right? You know, Michigan has shown they can play defense. Have you guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know you were on the road, but still. Um, but the, I, I feel like I've um, been given a – I've criticized Michigan's basketball team a little bit. But I've been kind of painting, like, some of the things they're doing well and things yeah. like that. But one thing um do have to criticize is Xavier Simpson. He, uh, he's he been doing a lot. He did some things well against Oregon. I don't want to say he didn't. Like I said, I find it kind of comparable to Cassius's game, which was an yeah. off game, but for different reasons. He was going up against Oregon's point guard, who's a very good player, Peyton Pritchard, a.k.a. PP. That's his nickname. <laughs> but he played a really good game, and I think Xavier Simpsons is probably one of the top 10 or 15 point guards in the country, but he's not a top point guard. He's not number one, two would, or three. Right, I wouldn't put him, like, top four. No, and some of that well, he's size. Yeah, and he's he his mentality. You talk about this team that never quits. He's one of the reasons. And it looks like he has a three-point shot this year. Which two years ago was crazy. Two yeah. or three years ago, and he missed a couple free throws in this game, but he was shooting under fifty percent on free throws, and that doesn't seem to be a concern anymore. Definitely wasn't last year. Yeah. But Peyton got the best of them um, when the team was going cold, and you saw this in the Illinois game. And I see this as a positive and a negative. You saw him; he was like, "Give me the ball, get the ball to me." And at times, I liked that, but there was times where he was doing too much hero ball. And he, you know, I, I know a lot of fans will look to the last play, but yeah, if that was, ball goes in, they're not I was, saying that. My concern, I've been defending Xavier Simpson for taking that last shot. Um, sorry, he, you can say what you want. He did it a little too much in this game, though. Yeah. I don't – I didn't like how slowly he came up the court because it kind of limited what he could do. My fear my, – my, I think what he was thinking is Peyton is a good player, and if he came up too quick – might rip that ball from him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I totally love that as a last play, but there was too much hero ball throughout the game, uh, uh, especially in the second half when the team was kind of starting to score more. You saw Livers. Franz was getting on. You, Michigan maybe doesn't have – you talk about Michigan State needing that second guy. I don't know if Michigan has a guy that's really the guy yet. Yeah. You think Livers could be that guy. You think uh, Franz could be that guy. Maybe – Teske or Simpson, but Simpson was outplayed. 
I'm not too mad at it because I think the guy he was outplayed with is probably a top 10 point guard in the country. I think so. Uh, but it does show that Simpson might not be your star. He might be one of your stars, but he's not going to be the guy. And uh, I keep calling him Peyton. I want to make sure. Peyton Pritchard, right? Yeah, yep. Peyton. Peyton Pritchard is he, – he had a really good game, and that, that was a big reason why they won. I, I think that's actually game right there. It's It was a battle between those two, and – he, he's a baller. So that last shot, I it may not have been like exactly what you would have wanted to draw up, but I do think Xavier on the hook shot is one of the more effective shots in he basketball. He can go left or right this year too. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've defended him to a lot of Michigan fans who have been like angry at him for taking that last shot. I thought it, it was a good shot, and like you said, if it goes in – it's it's a whole different story. It wasn't the only play though, and the, and you know that James Harden move that doesn't get called a travel in the NBA, but it's got, technically got a called a travel. I saw yeah. that on Saturday. There, he and there there was two plays in a row. I think he threw it away too, which he hadn't really done since the Appalachian State game where he had like something crazy like seven or eight turnovers, which I think is a uh, you know not something you're going to see very often. Um, but he, I I wish I had broke down some tape, but there was a few mistakes here and there. I'm not worried about it. I love that he's Michigan's point guard. Correction, Eli Brooks. He also had a bad mistake where he got double team and he's trying to dribble out of it instead of tossing it to the open man. Uh, Michigan overall played very well against the full court press, especially since they like to roll Eli, DeJulius, and Xavier out there all together, three guys that can play point guard. But li- Correction, Eli Brooks. I know to pass it. Yeah, that was one of the concerns for me is like when – so, you know, it's still young in the season, but the three losses, it seems like they have kind of started off slow and kind of lugged into halftime. It kind of feels like the three wins, they started off slow and kind of lugged into the first eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you really don't ever want to start off slow. You want to, Right, and obviously. It, and, um, I mean, that could come back to hurt them in March, you know. <laughs> there was, And the turnover. Correction, Eli Brooks. There's two. Michigan's up fifty three or fifty one. They can make a two possession game after being down by sixteen. Right, and that and it kind of seemed like the momentum went from Michigan at that point, and for the rest of the game, it was about even as they went into overtime. Michigan's up by two. Uh, I don't recall how much time was left, but it was like that was the end of their momentum, and now it's flat line and it's about even. Do you kind of wish that last shot by Oregon at regulation had counted to just kind of spare you about fifteen minutes of? No time, so you can no. go to the bathroom no. or something. And, and even, even so, oh yeah, I did have to go to the bathroom like after the second half, <laughs> but uh, I didn't go after a game either because the lines Ouch. were ridiculous. So we went all the way home. But for those that That's... are worried, I don't live too far from Chrysler. <laughs> uh, but no, because it was funny. As much as I care about sports and as much as losses stick with me, I had so much fun at that game that I wasn't even mad after it. I know that probably That's sounds good, crazy yeah. to some fans, but I also get annoyed by some fans that get too emotional, at least in the fact they can't control their emotions. It's like, I'm feeling the same thing as you, but I'm in public, so maybe bring it down <laughs> a notch. Lighten up, Francis. But, yeah, I mean, the Illinois game, I was hoping to steal one on the road. Uh, Oregon, you know, you want to steal one after starting off so sloppy. And Louisville, I, I I was expecting a loss there, but this this might just be a year in the Big Ten where like 
unless you just lose to a bad team on the road. Like if you lose a road game, you just kind of like, yeah. that's life. I also kind of felt similar to when in 2013, Michigan lost by two points to Arizona when they came here. It was like, I know Oregon's number 10 and not number one, but it was just like the fact that you're right there is kind of a measuring stick and you kind of feel like there's a good chance you're, you're going to have a good season. Michigan went on to win the Big Ten that year, and hopefully they can clean up just a couple small problems and finish strong this year. Are you looking to upgrade your wardrobe? Need some new shirts, jackets, or hoodies? How about some flannel? Head over to farbar.com and check Farbar Fashion. Far Bar Fashion has a limited time offer to Paul Bunyan listeners, 10% off all orders with the promo code Bunyan. That's right, 10% off the entire order, all you have to do is type promo code Bunyan. Add some new gear to your wardrobe and make it something unique. Be sure to also check out Far Bar Fashion on Twitter at farbar underscore co and on Instagram at farbar underscore. Santa's coming to town! The bowl game that nobody ever wants to play in has been announced. The Pinstripe Bowl hitting the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. It is spelled with one R, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, versus the 6-6 six and six Michigan State Spartans. And, yeah, played outside two days after Christmas. Yankee Stadium. I guess Big Ten weather. Let's go. <laughs> I do want some more uh, Northern Bowl games. It just stinks at Soldier Field and Yankee you, Stadium. You can't get, like... Lucas Oil Stadium or the Viking Stadium, like these nice, like yeah, you got to play on a baseball field, right? <laughs> two days after Christmas, nobody, right. nobody is gonna go to that unless they're like from New York, like unless well, that, unless you're like happy to be in, like say Rutgers gets to that game, I can see them having a decent following there. Notre Dame, but they weren't really excited when they played there like five years ago either. Right? Like, what are what are they called? Like uh, Subway uh, alumni or something? They have because Notre Dame. And and I'll get to that in a second. They have they they have a big fan base there. I would love 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 some big bowl games to be this side yeah. of Mason Dixon. No, it, it's it's an unfortunate advantage that you you could go down to Florida and play teams from Florida and Georgia. You can go out to California play teams from Washington and Oregon and California. Like, yeah, there is a sense of that. Um, I just feel cotton like bowl against Baylor. Cotton bowl against Baylor. Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting list. I believe Michigan State, not to get sidetracked, but they've played Stanford, bowl, game, bowl games in Florida against. Well, I know Michigan's played, uh, played Florida in the Citrus Bowl, and they played Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Well, they played Baylor and Texas Tech in Texas bowl games. They played Stanford and Washington. Well, I guess Washington State's not in California. But, yeah, but they played Stanford in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. You, that's, that's not – that that's by design because right. the bowl, the bowl, they want a local team, you know. Yeah, no, that's why sure. a lot of you know it was either going to be Eastern or Michigan State and Detroit. Okay. Like, <laughs> so personally, I was kind of crossing my fingers it wouldn't be the Pinstripe Bowl, but it is what it is. I don't really know much about Wake Forest. Uh, 
kind of forgot they even had a football team. They were. They, <laughs> some people thought they might be the one that challenged Clemson because they started off five they, and one. They were and seven one. and one, and then lost three out of four down the stretch. Uh, one thing they have in common with Michigan State is a, a tight opener win versus Utah State, similar to Michigan State last year. That's a nice bonding experience for the two teams. <laughs> hey, you guys want to go out to brunch and talk about that before we <laughs> hit each other in the head? Uh, they played in the first basketball game of the season, losing 62-59 to to Louisville. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, they were 7-1 and flying high with a 44-10 to win versus NC State. Uh, 36-17 loss to Virginia Tech ensued, and then a 52-3 loss to Clemson. Uh, 39-27 win over the mighty Duke Blue Devils, and then a 39-30 loss to Syracuse, who we've Not we've good. documented is pretty bad. Wake Forest would go six and six, and the Big Ten, probably the SEC. Maybe even the Big 12. They're not a very good team. The ACC is probably the worst Power 5 conference this year. Maybe Pac-12, but I think Pac-12 probably has more. Pac-12 has more, like, yeah, decent teams. The ACC, it's Clemson, and then it's a bunch of manure. I would say Virginia and Virginia Tech are decent. Yeah, I guess Virginia is playing in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, and they have – I'm a big Bronco Mendenhall. I think he does more with less. And I think Virginia Tech's kind of – they're rebuilding a little bit. I think they went eight and four. They're not bad, but but they're not top tier teams. They're not teams you would necessarily want in the New Year Six. But they're not right. Good. They're the uh, Virginia Techs. I think they're eight and four. That's somewhat legit. Wake Forest eight and four is not legit. They're not a very good team. I like I said. I think this is a pretty even matchup. I'd probably even give the edge to Michigan State. It looks like yeah. Right now, Michigan State's a five point favorite. I believe they opened at like a three point favorite. Um, we'll see. I personally don't think Kenny Willickis will or should play in the bowl game, just given what happened last season in the bowl game where he broke his leg. Unless he sees a matchup where he thinks he can just absolutely dominate and kind of like catapult his stock into being maybe like a day two draft stock or draft pick. Uh, But no, I don't think Kenny Willekes will play. Uh, I I think everybody else in the senior class probably will. Do you want Brian Lewerke to play or would you rather? Yeah. um, I mean, I I do want to win the game. Uh, It (laughs) sounds pretty pathetic, but finishing seven and six is a better feeling than finishing six and seven. seven. Yeah. Yeah. but, you know, I definitely would like to see a Lombardi or Thorne or Day, but maybe no, like I'm, split time. Yeah, I don't want Lewerke to get all the snaps, but, you know, this is his last game, and it's, you know, it's rare you have a three year starting quarterback. So, no, let, let Lewerke play probably the first drive at least and the last drive at least, but in the middle, give some other players some time. Um, no, Wake Forest. Like uh, a lot of passing yards per game. They're at they're averaging two ninety seven and one hundred seventy five on the ground, but they're also giving up a lot of passing. It looks like I know I know the ACC isn't the Big Twelve in terms of how much defense they play, but Wake Forest averaging four hundred seventy three yards per game and then give up on, on average four hundred nine yards per game. That's those are both about a hundred more than what Michigan State does on both sides. Um, but no, I don't expect it to be an exciting game. Hopefully, it'll be better than a seven to six score like we saw last year at the the uh, mighty Red Box Bowl, which I thought was the bottom. I thought, wow, can't get worse than playing in the Red Box Bowl. And uh, 
then it came down to either playing it at Ford Field or playing at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, Which would you rather play at? I actually I want to start this off with. So I'm. I feel like I've read that Michigan State's not recruiting Michigan as well as they have in the past. Is that true? I know you follow better than I do. Um, I mean they're not getting like the Will Golston's, Malik McDowell's, like the elite of the state. Um, you know, Ladarius Jefferson committed and he was pretty good, but he's gone now. Um, it's I, w- I wouldn't say that's true. No, I think they've been maybe not up to the standard like that they were, but they still get players like Dobbs and Barnett and Cody White's uh, players that will win the Mr. Football award in the state. Um, but, yeah, Dobbs was a good one. Like, yeah, I think it's mostly been Ohio that has not been as good for them as in previous years. Would you rather play at a venue like Ford Field where with the yeah. local tie-in you probably create more local buzz versus going to New York, which isn't like a traditional college football hotbed? And, and I do prefer the indoor stadium. So, yeah, I would prefer – that bowl game, I actually have two tickets to the to the Quick Lane Bowl that I got for free, and I was like, "Well, if Michigan State goes, I'll go." But uh, we yeah. might have to talk off air as uh, Eastern Michigan. <laughs> yeah, maybe I want to go student. see the, the Fighting Narduzzi's. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, New York's the bigger market. But yeah, what, New York's a bigger market. But even with the sports, you might be the sixth story, the yeah. eighth story, whereas you know. If you're playing at what game? What day is the quick lane bowl? Is in between? It's the day before. The, it's, it's the twenty sixth. It's in between. Oh, okay, I was gonna say it's in between Christmas and New Year's. Right? Yeah. So the quick lane bowl is the twenty sixth. The so there's not, is the twenty seventh. My point is, there's not like a necessarily a lot of stories that are gonna be coming out of Detroit right. that day. I don't the, know. And one thing the quick lane bowl would have is that I think that's an eight p.m. kickoff versus a three o'clock kickoff on the twenty seventh. Like. What day of the week that is? Like that's a, a lot of people might. That's a Friday like, for the Pinstripe Bowl game. A lot of people, you know, have that week off, but some people just have the holiday and then they go back to work the next right, day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so eight o'clock, you know, everyone should be home by then, or most people. And yeah, I think weather. It would have been nice for Michigan State to have a game just totally unaffected by any type of weather. Uh, they don't play a whole lot of games indoors. They used to when they were going to Indianapolis regularly, but now they don't do that so much. I think uh, pretty much the Quick Lane Bowl has to have a MAC team. Are they really push for it? I, there are some. There are some certain qualifiers where the Big Ten gets a certain number of New Year's Six slash playoff teams. Then it bumps up either a MAC over the ACC or over the Big Ten. There are certain qualifiers because I've seen Big Ten versus ACC in that game before. Like I've seen Rutgers. I could see Carolina. Michigan State and. Pitt being very interesting. Yeah. Narduzzi versus D'Antonio. I I think that's what the Quick Lane Bowl probably wanted, but there are just certain factors. Like, there are obligations for each conference. And with the Big Ten sending Penn State to the Cotton Bowl, Wisconsin to the Rose Bowl, and Ohio State to the playoffs, and now Minnesota also got a pretty hefty bowl game, I believe. It it sets off some kind of wave reaction where – but you know, I think it'll be good for Eastern Michigan to get a bowl game because I believe that's two straight years in a bowl game, three, three out of the last four. four. And the last two bowl games, one was in the Bahamas and one was in like Alabama, I want to say. Yeah. So I think it'll be nice for Eastern Michigan. So I, at least that's a good – And their uh, Pitt's uh, athletic director is Eastern Michigan's former athletic director, oh. the one that hired Creighton. She was in the Bahamas. I think she actually took – 
the pit job the year after. I did not know that. But, no, those are two coaches I really like, uh, Creighton and Narduzzi. I think I've been saying this, like, I'm not – I don't hate Creighton. I'm not trying to wish ill on him, but if I was Rutgers, I would have hired him. <laughs> right. But if, was, but if I was Chris Creighton, Rutgers apparently was just hell bent on getting Greg Schiano. Doesn't back. that feel like a Randy Etzel going back to UConn yeah, higher? Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. <laughs> um, but it looks like a lot of people are picking Michigan State in this game. Beats me as to why, because again, I don't really know too much about Wake Forest. Well, but. Joe, do you want to be set on fire or do you want to drown? <laughs> I personally would rather die by drowning. But <laughs> I feel like you'd pass out and it's peaceful. Whereas <laughs> you kind of, watching Michigan State the last two years has kind of been both. But well, I, yeah, I feel like uh, Michigan State's the drowning way of dying. <laughs> whereas I don't know, I don't have a lot of confidence in Wake. Sometimes it's just who wants it more. And we'll get into that deeper uh, in the next segment. But uh, I also think uh, it, it would have been interesting, like let's say if Michigan State plays in Detroit, but they play against Eastern. Two local teams, but also it kind of feels like a neutral site Labor Day game, you know, where yeah. so it doesn't it maybe loses some of its luster, but at least Wake Forest is a power five team. I know they're eight. There is if, if I think it helps you more if you get this type of win. Um Yeah. It, <sighs> I think it's a bit more of a measuring stick than playing a team like Eastern. But Pitt would have been that too. Yeah. And there would have been more ways to tie it in. Like I, I it's just like, you know, we were talking about playing local teams, playing USC or Stanford in California or playing Florida, Florida State and Florida. Michigan State and Wake Forest don't really have ties to New York City other than being in the same time zone. Right. So it'll be an interesting crowd, I guess. Like, who's going to be going to this game? Two well, days, like I, I told you, like, most New York fans – or Notre Dame fans, and then, like, Penn State and Michigan tend to have a lot of yeah. alumni there. And there was, like, is a, I believe you was, might find one Rucker fan. <laughs> Singular, think. Rucker, not, not, not. I, I do think um, Franklin's first year when the bowl sanctions were lifted early and then Penn State became bowl eligible, and that was the game they played in. I think that was the last time the Big Ten really, like, cared about <laughs> this game. Uh, I, I, it would be like a wet dream if Notre Dame and Penn State were playing in the pinstripe bowl for that that bowl. Like, the real question is: are, Is either team going to come out in special pinstripe themed uniform? Like for that like, bowl game, that was such an ugly uniform when <laughs> Notre Dame did that. And plus, it just felt like you were pandering. Like, appreciate that you have a New York City fan base, but like, <laughs> don't overdo well, it. Right? What is this? Um, but no, this was a tough decision for me. I'm like, do I want to just work the whole day or do I want to get off early to watch this game? And ultimately, I did decide to get off just in time to watch the game. But it was a, it was a, it came down to the wire. It was the fact real, that you care so little. It was a real nail biter. Yeah. Who is Paul Bunyan? American folklore tells the story of Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack of enormous size and strength, who, along with his blue ox babe carved the American countryside, creating many of its landscapes and natural wonders. The major logging state of Michigan has its own battle of men of enormous size and strength as the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans square off in an annual showdown on the college football gridiron. They play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a fitting prize for this historic Big Ten showdown. This is Sparta! Wolverines! 
Michigan will be playing Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. It feels like Michigan goes there every two or three years. Orlando is a fun town. I don't think Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh will be going to Disney World together. <laughs> I don't think either of them really wants to go to the game. If that sounds <laughs> – well, the full cast, which is one of my favorite college football podcasts, did a whole segment about it. And In this scenario, Jim Harbaugh is super enthusiastic about being in Disney World, and Nick Saban's just a, a very <laughs> – he's very Nick Saban-y, and he just is <laughs> – He's just growling and, you know. Satanic. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, by the way, we we can get in the game in a minute, but a lot of you might not know, Joe is a Dolphins fan and obviously he's a Michigan State fan. I don't know if many people probably hate hate Nick Saban Saban as much. On two different levels like that, yeah. And um, I know Michigan's gotten blown out by Nick Saban in Alabama once. Might look like it'll happen a second time. But then Nick Saban also – yeah, has been Michigan State in two bowl games, uh, pretty convincingly, one might say. I think, and uh, <laughs> by a combined score of um, eighty-seven to seven. <laughs> and that two thousand ten game is one of the those games. Yeah, that, it was the same bowl game, but it was then called the Capital One Bowl, and uh, that was a Bama team that was. Very un- won a championship the year before and won a championship the two years after. <laughs> they um, had the likes of Julio Jones and Mark Ingram and Eddie Lacy and yeah, Michigan State. Just they were mad. The they weren't in a better bowl. Doesn't yeah. that kind of feel? That was, like that was this the year, year Cam Newton and Auburn beat them. Yeah, I think that there might be one other year, but I think that was the last year they weren't either in a championship game or a playoff because they've gone to all the playoffs, but this one, twenty thirteen. Who was in the? Oh, well, that that was, was Florida Clemson State. Was in Florida Auburn. State. Or, yeah, Florida Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I'm just knee jerk reaction to say Clemson. I felt like there um, was one. I felt like the, yeah. I felt there was one year, but I couldn't remember it. But there you yeah, go. Yeah, they lost to Oklahoma that year. But uh, yeah, Alabama. No Tua. Don't know if their wide receivers are going to play. And we kind of have this same conversation about Michigan too. One of their receivers said he is going to play. Was it Judy? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that. But they have like three. They, they Their receivers did what Michigan fans hoped Nico, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Bell could do this year. Um, but I'm glad you bring up that Oklahoma game because I – and I know this – I feel like Oklahoma won in that game more. In 2013? Yeah. Yeah, the Sugar I, Bowl. And you saw that last year with Georgia and Texas. Yeah. You see, I think it's here with like any SEC team that doesn't quite make the playoffs. You saw with Michigan and Florida twice from each side. Yeah, they. I don't. I, I don't think they had anyone sitting out, but I don't think they really cared to be there in 2015. Yeah. Michigan ran it up on them, and then last We've year we've seen it with Michigan State. You uh, had playing Bo- against Washington State. Yeah, you had Bush, Rashawn Gary, and uh, Kron Higdon, and another player out last year. So I mean. The the only way okay, so I feel like a lot of Michigan fans were soft when this game was announced, and it was probably yeah. just the most vocal. And it was a large segment though. Even if you believe Michigan will lose this game, Alabama is still one of those teams that's a measuring stick, along with like Clemson, Ohio State. You could maybe throw Oklahoma and Georgia in there, LSU this year. Yeah. Uh, and even if you think you're going to get beat, like, 
you're not going to get better by playing lesser competition. Right. If you blow out somebody in a bowl game that's uh, like a half level beneath you, what good does that do? Right. And if they played USC, I don't think USC is great this year. I think it would be an interesting game. But, like, let's say you're going to play a 7-5 and five team. Like, what does that yeah. really show? So Michigan State in that Capital One Bowl slash Citrus Bowl against Alabama got humbled 49-7. to seven. But next year they beat Georgia in a similar bowl game. The year after that they beat TCU. After that, they beat Stanford. Like they won their next four bowl games after that. And I know those those weren't like that's not like beating Georgia now, but it had Matt yeah. Stafford and TCU and State were both down that year. And then they, they had were like similar. Like and TCU had players like Trevon Boykin on that side. They got um, better in the next couple of years, but it was kind of Georgia at that point. I think was a measuring stick for Michigan State, and Michigan State leveled up. Well, they were all both like nine and three or something. Yeah, that year, right. Yeah. Or like ten and three, they they both lost in their ch- conference championship. Games. I was really mad at first because it was like we. I I didn't think Michigan. I, I thought Harbaugh came in and did some things really well right away in 2015, but they got beat really badly by Ohio, Ohio State that year too, and you kind of felt humbled. And I just Florida was. I didn't think Florida was Bama, but they were in the SEC title game, right? And, and I thought they were going to win the first year. They beat them. Uh, Lloyd Carr's last game. They opened up the te- the the playbook and they beat Florida that year too. And that was the year Tebow won the title or uh, not that the was, title, uh, the won the Heisman. And that was in between two title years for Florida. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, so like, would you rather? I would rather know where I am. Is this more of a win win than a lose lose? I think as long as you don't get embarrassed. And at the end of the day, what does a bowl game really mean? Even if you do get embarrassed, and I also. For both sides, if Alabama's sitting two or three people, then you take the win with a grain of salt a little bit. Uh, if Michigan sits two or three key players, then you take the loss with a grain of salt a little bit. But I also think Bama, even maybe more than Clemson still, kind of has a certain prestige to their program because they've been doing it for 10 years. Clemson's been doing it for five. Yeah. Oklahoma has been good, but not as good as Alabama. Like there's something about it. When we saw USC rolling or Florida rolling, you know, it was like a five year run. Alabama has been doing it 10, 11 years now. Yeah. They won a championship back in the 09, 10 season and they've been rolling they were, ever since. Like their, their down years were, uh, 2010-11 when they lost to Cam Newton and company. Um, 2013 when they lost on the kick six. And really, aside from that, I guess this year. Yeah. I'm losing to a really good Ohio State team in 2014. Maybe. Right. <laughs> that was the de facto uh, championship game. Uh, a lot more rewatchability than the actual one. Uh, even in 08, which 08-09, that was Saban's second year. I believe they were 10-2. Something like that? Something similar, yeah. Utah hadn't yet joined the back 12 Utah was undefeated, and yeah. When- some of their fans were like, we won the title. This is We're, we're undefeated, unlike Florida. Uh, and that, that was the year maybe Utah wanted it more. Yeah. Um, I do think Kyle Winningham's a pretty good coach. I, I, I got talked down a little bit, though I get, like, after losing to your rival, you just kind of want to finish the season with a win. And I don't think any Michigan fan wanted to take on UNLV or Southern right. Miss, you know. Uh, and, and some of them, too, especially, like, the really 
uh, enthusiastic fans are just sick of going to Miami, Atlanta, and Orlando three times. You know, it kind of feels like they keep getting stuck in the same <laughs> the same part of the country. So yeah, so since Sa- uh, I almost said Saban, since Harbaugh got there, it was Orlando for the Citrus Bowl, Miami for the Orange Bowl, Tampa for the Outback Bowl, and then last year Atlanta for the Peach, Peach Bowl. Bowl. And then yeah, um, so that's. And in Orlando this year again. Yeah, so now that's four out of five bowls in Florida, and the other one was in Georgia. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, and, and and also Michigan's been recruiting Florida. Similar to D'Antonio. Well. D'Antonio was in Florida four of his first five bowl games. Well, it helps that Big Ten has some ties there. Yeah. He almost wanted to go to a Holiday Bowl just because Michigan's kind of recruiting Georgia and Florida, and I think it can kind of help you just a tad bit if you keep playing there. But they're not recruiting California, I don't think, as well as they would like to. So you yeah. Because the Holiday Bowl is in San Diego, right? I believe. Yep. Yeah. The old Chargers So in stadium. some way. And, like, just to go off on a little sidebar here, last year it was like Michigan was going to play Florida again, like third time in four years, like the fifth time in, like, 12 years or something weird, or fifth time in six More than two random Big 12, Big yeah. 10 SEC teams. And then you had Wisconsin and Miami playing again. It was like – I I might be like talking on both sides of my mouth, but I was like, we should actually trade. I'd almost rather play a seven five Miami just for something different. <laughs> and Wisconsin can take on Florida just to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. But okay, getting back to my point, I was kind of talked down a little bit just because you want to end the season with a win. I get that. Um, also, like the anticipation of players sitting out, it's almost like how much is this measuring stick really? Right. Like I do get that point. Um, I, I'm not saying I'm going to their side, but maybe I can see it a little bit more. But I'm also okay with having a larger sample size of how my team is doing. Like, obviously, Ohio State really cares about that Michigan game. And Michigan, you know, was actually rolling a bit going into that game. And Alabama will have a month to prepare for this game, but Michigan will have a month too. You're not playing a rival. So, yeah. Although these two coaches, for, for two guys who haven't ever played each other, there's quite a bit of hate there. Like there was some talk from, I know Saban really didn't like the uh, the satellite camps early on. I know Harbaugh probably doesn't like anything about Saban either. Well, like, they know, probably lost a, a couple players to Alabama recruiting wise. This is speculation, but come on, uh, Nick Saban, his talking head, he's Paul Feinbaum. Oh, okay. Yeah. Has seems like he has direct orders to go after Michigan for whatever reason. <laughs> and maybe it started with the satellite camps, but uh, good old Pete Feinbaum, uh, Jive Turkey. <laughs> like, I, I got some of it, like, especially when the satellite camps were going on, but I don't know if Michigan and Alabama have had a reason to really, like, Just talk like, about yeah. each other for two or three years now. And he really seems to stoke that. Fire. Yeah, I mean, he says he can pick a pizza delivery boy out of a phone book that can coach better than Jim Harbaugh, that's uh, that's kind of going above and beyond. That. Um, so getting into the game, what are you looking for? What do you kind of expect? Well, I don't know what to expect because I'd really like to know who's playing and who's not. By the time this yeah. gets released in a couple of days, we might have a better chance. But the reason I just think it's a good measuring stick is the problem isn't that Harbaugh and Michigan haven't beaten ranked teams. Is that they haven't beaten the cream of the crop. Right, the name brands. You've won two top ten games. 
but you're 11 and nine or 11 and 10 against ranked opponents. And since he's been here, so it's like, you can beat number 15, Iowa, you can split games with Wisconsin. He technically is three and two against Penn state, but yeah. Penn state and Wisconsin aren't Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama. And that's, I think what you, that's the next step. So, you know, you in, know, in 10 years, you're not going to remember who played for Alabama. You're just going to remember it was Alabama and you won or lost. Right. Or you won't remember it. Like, I forgot they played Florida last year until you remind me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, are you going to be a world beater or are you just going to be a tank team that finishes number 10 or number 14 or number 11 again? And kind of like you said, with uh, seven and six looking better than six and seven, yeah. I think a 10 win season looks better than a nine win season. And there is something about momentum, you know. I think you go into the offseason feeling better about the Ohio State loss when you beat Alabama. Definitely. <clears throat> I also think this is uh, it's weird because Alabama has a lot of talent, one of the top three or four teams of talent. Yeah. I'll but say they don't like, have a good strength of record because their schedule is set up where the only two really good teams they played they lost to, but they look so good against the other teams that – like. When Michigan State played in the Cotton Bowl against Baylor at the end of the 2014 season, it was a pretty similar situation. Michigan State was at 10 and two. I believe Baylor was 11 and one, and had just gotten shut out of the playoff in favor of Ohio State. Um, and it, when it, when it looked like Michigan State was going to lose, and they were down by 20 in the second half, I was I was really mad. I was like, this season on paper is not a good season because you lose two. The two good teams you played in the regular season, Oregon and Ohio State, and then you lose to the other good team you played, Baylor, in, in the Cotton Bowl. And that's just – but Michigan State came back and won that game, and it really is probably one of Mark D'Antonio's top five or six wins in his career. Well, and it made them an 11-win season uh, – made that an 11-win season. And kind of like, yeah, a 10-3 and three season versus an 11-2 and two season feels a lot different. Just like a – in the same breath, a six and seven versus seven and six, or nine and three versus nine and four versus uh, ten and three. When Mark D'Antonio and Art Bryles, who were two of the hotter coaches at that time, they were are recruiting the same player. D'Antonio can now say, "Hey, I beat Baylor and Art Bryles and in their home state." And now Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, if you beat Saban and you're recruiting against Alabama, you're like, "I went down to SEC country and I beat them." Right. You come play here. Michigan State winning the bowl game against Georgia, which was D'Antonio's first bowl win, that was that had a similar effect that I think really helped them win the Rose Bowl and Cotton Bowl two years down the road removed. There's something about building confidence. And, you know, I, I mean, beating Notre Dame was good and beating Iowa was nice. But, you know, if you can go back and you look at your top six opponents and you say I went three and three against them, I think that feels a little different. You, you kind of have to – Michigan, you look back at the Ohio State game, and they just had so many more mistakes than Ohio State. And they – you know, we talked about that first half. It went well, you know. Yeah. I, I think Ohio State has a better defense than Alabama. I think they have the best defense in the country. I would if agree. you can sling it around, and, you know, you, you're going to have to fix that defensive tackle spot because both your two best – the two best teams you played against, Wisconsin and Ohio State, really took advantage of it. Yeah, we'll see. Like you said, in the coming days, more players will we'll know for sure who's playing and who's not. Um, I'd give the Bama, Bama a big edge, and uh, but like I said, I, 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 I think Bama's backup quarterback Mac Jones is nothing to scoff at. He's no, no Tua no. by any means, but he's 
He's serviceable, I think. He's serviceable under a, on a regular team, and when he has those three receivers and that yeah, running back. makes him look great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what year he is, but if he's a sophomore, he, he could be really good. Like like I said, I, I, I knew nothing about I know about Tua. But I'm just saying if this is him as a sophomore, he could be good going forward. Yeah. And Alabama's kind of like Ohio State where, you know, you have Jalen Hurts and you have Tua on the same team. Well, Ohio State, you have Cardell Jones and you have <laughs> J.C. Barrett. Yeah, yeah. And it looks he, like Mac Mac Jones is a sophomore. We're not sure what Tua's going to do, but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely you, a in a year or two. We could be talking about him the same way we talk about Trevor Lawrence, Joe and Burrow, Joe Burrow, and yeah, Joe Burrow wasn't too much to talk about last season. No, but I don't know why Ohio State people are so happy for him. Like I'm happy for him, but uh, I wasn't. But I don't claim him. Like would I claim? Uh, they got Ryan Mallett. That's kind of <laughs> weird. Like, no, I was sad that he wasn't still with my program. I don't claim Nick Foles as a Spartan quarterback, but I do have his autograph from, like, the half a season he was in East Lansing <laughs> School. I claim that. But I don't have – I have no further questions on the game uh, for Michigan-Alabama, but I got to say I'm probably more excited to watch that one than the pinstripe bowl in all honesty. Yeah, two teams I hate going up against each other. Well, you Nothing know, better than that. We said go green, go white in the last segment. Go blue. All right. For Farbar, roll tide. As an inside joke. And one, actually, one more thing. I almost forgot. I wanted to add. Uh, let's see. Thank you for listening. And as always, don't forget you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. You can listen on several platforms: Anchor, Google Podcast, Overcast, Apple Podcast. Breaker, Spotify, Pockets, Cats, and Radio Public. If you go to our Anchor website, you'll see links to all the places I just listed. Whatever is your preference is awesome. I think I got your Twitter handle right there. Joe. That's right. You can find me at Joe's Captain. And you can find me at Zach Sawyer. I'm usually causing trouble there. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>